My name is Charlie Mannix Beale, and in this weekly podcast series, I'm going to be taking a fresh look at the history, culture, and achievements of the ancient Phoenicians. Each week, experts, enthusiasts, and modern day Phoenicians will help me to uncover the wonder and wisdom of one of history's greatest but most forgotten about civilizations. Last year, I decided to spend nine months living on a replica Phoenician ship as part of an expedition called the Phoenicians Before Columbus Project. I met so many interesting people and learned so much about Phoenician history, culture, and about seafaring that I decided to make this podcast, the Phoenicians Before Columbus podcast. In the coming episodes, I'll tell you the story of the replica Phoenician ship and its exploits. We'll look at what made the Phoenicians such a wealthy civilization and what we can learn from them too. But first, who were the Phoenicians? This episode is part one of a two-part interview I did with a man who is an internationally renowned negotiator, academic and consultant of Lebanese origin and an expert on the history and legacy of the Phoenicians. In this section of the interview, we examine who the Phoenicians were and what made them such a successful group of people. My name is Charlie Mannix Beale, and this is the Phoenicians Before Columbus podcast. I'm very pleased to be joined on the first episode of the podcast by Dr. Habib Shamoun Nicholas. Dr. Shamoun is a world-renowned expert in negotiation and business development. His services have seen high demand in a range of sectors from oil and gas, petroleum, mining and metals to marketing and pharmaceutical industries, to name just a few. He has trained thousands of business professionals across the world on a business development approach for sales and negotiation. Dr. Shamoon's work includes research on how Mexicans and other cultures negotiate, and he designed a program to train a group of Beijing international airport managers for cross-cultural negotiations in preparation for the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games. After gaining a Bachelor of Science in Chemical Engineering and Business Administration from the Monterey Institute of Technology, then a Master's and PhD in Science from the University of Texas at Austin, Dr. Shamoon graduated with a postdoctoral degree working with Elf Aquitaine production in France and has participated in several special executive programs such as the Program on Negotiation at Harvard University. He is the author of many articles and books on business and negotiation. To mention a few, Deal, Guidelines for a Flawless Negotiation, Negotiate Like a Phoenician, and Transcend, Quo Vadis Negotiator. He is an adjunct business professor, visiting scholar, and member of the advisory board at St. Thomas University Cameron School of Business in Houston, and adjunct instructor at the Washington University's Sever Institute. In 2013, Dr. Shamoon became an Athens member of the Ateneo of Cadiz, Spain, in recognition of his work. I hope you enjoy listening to this first part of the interview as much as I enjoyed recording it, and I will leave some further information about Dr. Shamoon uh, and his work in the description. 
So Habib, we first met in Florida at the arrival of the Phoenicians before Columbus expedition in America. Well, it was great to hear you talk at that event about Phoenician history and culture, and you're clearly very passionate and knowledgeable about those things. But the reason why I'm excited to have this conversation with you now is because I've gone away and read some of your work now, particularly Negotiate Like a Phoenician. Uh, and it's clear to me that you have a very unique perspective, not only on Phoenician history, but you've clearly spent a lot of time and resources thinking about what ancient wisdom can we take away with us in order to become more effective operators in the world today. Now, we're recording this in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, so I'm guessing that your life as an academic doesn't look as normal as it used to. Well, thank you, Charlie, for actually making this happen. I mean, I know we met uh, just uh, recently in, in Florida, and I'm in Texas. I'm in Austin, Texas. I am actually uh, a professor of business negotiations, and I teach uh, uh, globally the art of negotiation and soft skills as well. So that's where we are now in Texas. And we are all at home, right? Keeping ourselves safe because of the COVID-19. Absolutely. It's a very strange time at the moment, but I'm really lucky that I can catch up with people for this podcast. And that's one of the silver linings to everybody being at home at the moment. Before we jump in and talk about the Phoenicians, I'm interested to know, did you learn about the Phoenicians when you were at school? Well, let me tell you, actually, I was born in Mexico and grew up half of my life in Mexico and the rest in the U.S. I did some studies in Mexico, U.S. and France, and the Phoenicians were never part of my formal education. Actually, I learned on my free time on my own. When I was a teenager, my father took me to Cadiz, Spain, where you were as well. And when I was in front of the Phoenician sarcophagus, at that time, they have only discovered the men's sarcophagus. The woman one was not discovered yet. I don't know why this is when my fascination and study for the Phoenician civilization started. You know, however, uh, without knowing my professional career, as I mentioned, you know, negotiation, my fascination and study for the Phoenician civilization started right there, you know, and it's, it's like, you know, like my career and, and, and uh, without knowing, it took me to research a Phoenician identity, which is difficult to figure out. You know, if we can agree that every town has an identity or a mixture of identities, as the great Lebanese writer Malouf mentions, if we can simplify the characteristics of an ancient culture identity, for instance, we can take the ones from the ancient Aztecs in Mexico. If you think about them, they were great warriors. So you might think, okay, their identity were great warriors. I mean, they have other things, right? But that was what identified. And similarly, the ancient Mayans, uh, we can mention that they, the fact that they were great scientists, you know, uh, as different from, from the Aztecs. But if we go to the Phoenicians, based on our historical research, you know, a great characteristic that everybody praised in history, classics such as Herodotus, you know, is that they were great negotiators. Even if there are many great cultures that are fabulous negotiators, the Phoenicians were the most famous in history. I'm lucky that my professional work today is teaching negotiation professionally, and we have analyzed and studied multiple negotiations, you know, globally, and we thought about, well, what would be the thing that would make one negotiation more successful than the other uh, if we keep everything the same and 
what we find out is what we call tradables. And that's what we believe was the key of the Phoenician negotiation. And I'm just telling you, well, people might be asking, what is that? You know, so we, the definition that we have is a set of ideas or actions, the tradables, you know, a set of ideas or actions that help leverage a deal without being part of the deal or products or services that satisfy customer needs outside of our product line that are not in competition with our offering. So this is kind of the definition that we have in negotiate like a Phoenician. But you asked me also, what did they teach me? Well, they actually didn't teach me anything. And I am surprised that uh, when you're very young uh, in the history books, they don't really give the place that the Phoenicians really deserve. You know, they don't mention them. They just teach you a small paragraph. You know, all over the world is pretty much the same. Even I learned in Lebanon, you know, they don't teach that much. Yeah, a lot of our listeners, like me, probably didn't learn about the Phoenicians at school very much. And I think it's a great shame. And hopefully we can do something in this podcast to bring Phoenician history and understanding to more people. So could you just explain briefly who exactly were the Phoenicians? Thank you, Charlie. And I, I, I'm really happy that you're doing this because I, I agree. We need to give the Phoenicians the place in history that they deserve. You know, it was a great civilization. The Phoenicians were Canaanites, you know, the ones who rose to prominence in the second millennia BC, with no particular cultural distinction from their neighbors, except they were guardians of the great natural resource, the cedars, the great cedars of Lebanon. Everyone came to them for wood, so they adopted a merchant lifestyle. The Phoenicians had a great product, but in a region of kings and conflicts. So you might want to ask yourself, how could they avoid the crosshairs of conquering nations? Well, the answer lies partially in diversification. They diversify. The Phoenicians made themselves valuable in the eyes of their neighbors with an array of goods and services they alone could bring to the table. So they were great to bring in all of these uh, products and services to the table to everybody in the Mediterranean. They were able to convince their neighbors to buy rather than to conquer, based on the perception that a long-term business relationship was in everyone's best interest. The Phoenicians supplied the deep purple dye to an elitist market, you know, to kings and royalty. The very name Phoenicians is derived from Greek, Phoeniki, that means uh, purple, purple color. In, in, in a way, they refer to themselves as canonized but people will talk to them as the Phoenicians. So the Phoenicians were around 2,000, 3,000 years ago. And when we talk about Canaan, we're talking about what is today Syria, Lebanon, that kind of area? Yes, that's right. And, and it's all the, the Levantine region, you know, from uh, the northern Syria, Lebanon, Israel, all the way to, you know, all, all that. And, and that was the, what they call Phoenicia proper. After that, it was all the Mediterranean region. You know, all of the all of the ports around the Mediterranean region were, uh, or the majority of the ports, you know, all the way to Cadiz, Spain, uh, they were uh, established by Phoenicians. Like uh, Cadiz, uh, recently they have great findings of a whole Phoenician city underneath. You know, the uh, the theater of Titeris in Cadiz is worth to go and check it out. So yes, they were all over the Mediterranean but originally from the northern Syria, Lebanon, and, you know, what it is, Israel. Uh, so all of that uh, area is what uh, today 
what in the past was Phoenician, yes. You wrote the book, Negotiate Like a Phoenician, but how else are you connected to the Phoenicians? Well, uh, actually, the connection that I, that I have with the Phoenicians, it was like directly and indirectly. In one end, my family came from, from Lebanon to Mexico uh, a long time ago, and so I'm, I'm from a Lebanese heritage, and, and I'm part of that Phoenician heritage. But on the other hand, uh, I was very objective when we analyzed the, the Phoenician negotiation because I asked myself, you know, as a professor of negotiation, what could be like in quality control is ISO 9000, ISO 14000, you know, like a reference. What could be negotiation, a great reference, not only of the present, but also in the past, or negotiation that you can say, okay, these are the best practices ever. So that's when I thought, well, the Phoenicians. And so I asked a friend of mine who didn't know anything about Phoenicians. Uh, he was completely zero about Phoenicians. I asked him, why don't we do this research about the Phoenicians? So I was very neutral about that. And, you know, to find out why they were so great. So my connection was through the passion of uh, learning about them, not only because of my heritage, but because what that encounter that I have in Cadiz, Spain, when I run into that, you know, Phoenician sarcophagus. In fact, uh, as I mentioned to you, that was probably the first time when my father took me to Europe uh, and I visited Cadiz and I was just so motivated and fascinated to study the Phoenician civilization. I already was studying or thinking I was studying engineering and, and both, you know, engineering and business at the same time. And But also history was part of my passion and that made it, you know, so that I think that's interrelated. And, and it's amazing, you know, because... It, when you know that your life, uh, uh, or you don't know, without knowing that in your life you uh, are in a search of Phoenician identity, like happened to me, and my professional activities that is not related completely to the Phoenicians, at the end they happen to be related. So it is a great thing for me when your passion meets your, your, your destiny. You know, So that's very nice. And my love for history and passion for Phoenicians and my career of engineering and business, you know, all came together for the past 20 years and is giving me, as a fruit, uh, this great mystery, my book, Negotiate Like a Phoenician, and then Transcendence, you know, Transcend Cuba Badis Negotiator. Those two books are interrelated because the first one is more like doing the research to understand why the Phoenicians were great negotiators. And the second one is more like, uh, like a reflection. How can you transcend in life? You know, and so indirectly, one of the examples is the Phoenician culture. It's interesting that you say when you were researching Negotiate Like a Phoenician, you looked at the Phoenicians and thought they are a great civilization and worked backwards and said, how exactly did they reach that level? How much credit do the Phoenicians deserve? I mean, how great were they as a group of people? The credit that they deserve, if I was uh, in charge of uh, the Nobel the Nobel Prizes, you know, uh, committee, I will give three, at least three Nobel Prizes to the Phoenician civilization. The first one will be the literature one because they invented the alphabet and they pass it to the Greeks and to humanity. And then the second one will be the peace one because Phoenicians were pacifists. You know, they actually, uh, they built a commercial empire for 2,000 years over the Mediterranean. I would say, without a doubt, almost the first globalization on the ancient history, and they did it without war. They didn't fight. They, they commercially negotiated. And the third one 
will be the economy one because of the business model. The business model, it is amazing that uh, 4,000 years ago, you know, they had a mentality or mindset of a business model based on customer-centric, but also community-centric. And if you think about today, that sounds like uh, social responsibility, you know, where you include everybody. And, and, and that's where the tradables concept uh, comes into place that we talk more about it later on. So th- th- that's the point, you know, and, and, and when my greatest passion, uh, which is the Phoenician civilization since childhood, uh, you ask why? Well, because they have a great resilience, you know, like very strong, their energy, they have a great endurance and great contribution to science, art, engineering, navigation, tourism, and many more. And believe me, there are so many cultures that have uh, this done this as well, but the Phoenicians uh, passed through history like the best practices of negotiation. And, and, and when we talk about negotiation a little bit later, we will see that there is three kinds. And no, the first one is the distributive of the haggling. The second one is more like the harbor base that you want, uh, you, is integrative or uh, interest-based, and you, you generate options and, and increase the pie, like they say, you know, win-win. But there is the third one, which is the Phoenician. The Phoenician is more transcendental. You know, it goes beyond one or two or three generations. So it can transcend to different generations. So that's why it's fascinating to me. Yes, yeah, certainly ahead of their time. And I think it's easy to lose sight of how sophisticated ancient civilizations like the Phoenicians really were, especially when we're in the age of the internet and smartphones. So at the moment, we look to companies like Google, Uber, Uh, Airbnb, Netflix, as the gold standard of organizations. And apart from having good business models, these companies tend to use technology and innovation to the max. And this has always been the case, right? Not just today, but in every sector, communication, manufacturing, travel, the people and organizations that leverage technology and make use of innovation, they tend to do much better. And is it fair to say that we should look at the Phoenicians in the same way that we look at Apple and Google now as the technological innovators of their time, how technologically innovative were they? You know, that's definitely a, a, a right thing to say because the Phoenicians really have a technology and they give them an age and they were like uh, great explorers, uh, builders, uh, engineers. And But let me tell you that they have something that a lot of us probably today we need a little bit more because I think with those uh, times that, the world was upside down, they actually flourished in a commercial environment and they had emotional intelligence. They actually leveraged business with technology. And as we mentioned before, they invented the alphabet with 22 letters, which replaced other pictorial forms of written communication. We need to picture that. They, they needed to communicate with their clients, so they invented an alphabet. We have indirect reporting from Anna Softire from writers such as Josephus. Only the extensive writing and record keeping of the Phoenicians enabled them to manage their fleets of huge trading vessels, track inventory in their extensive network of trading posts, and schedule the deliveries of raw products and finished goods to the markets of of the known world. And and that's uh, we take out of negotiating like a Phoenician. But one thing that for sure that they were great builders because under Egyptian King Neko. You know, they actually have the attempts to construct the first Suez Canal, connecting the Mediterranean with the Red Sea. 
And uh, in 1611, you know, before Christ, around that, uh, there was a complementary exploration effort where that's exactly what happened, the circumnavigation of African continent. It was commissioned of the Phoenicians as a record by Herodotus. And this one uh, is something that you already did also with uh, Phoenicia vessel. You know, you have proven that that's possible as well. But it's mentioned in the history of Herodotus on the historians, ancient historians. So, yes, the Phoenicians were instrumental to build the Hebrew Temple of Solomon. Now, just think about that. Uh, the Phoenicians built the greatest temple of the Hebrew history, the Temple of Solomon. Also, uh, Phoenicians from Tyre and Sidon, they were employed to build the Palace of Nimrun on their Assur-Nasir Palace, the second, and, and many other uh, great temples they built. But not only they built, but also they were great at shipbuilding. That was one of the biggest, uh, they were master shipbuilders. Many artists rendering, see, that's another uh, thing that we need to mention. Many artists rendered the Phoenician vessels looking like a small, uh, little more than multiple paddle canoes, you know. They really do them a grievous disservice to the Phoenicians. Josephus. Uh, you know, travel the seas aboard a ship carrying 600 passengers. Can you imagine the size? 600 passengers in the first century. The Phoenicians built ships according to need. They have massive cargoes uh, and fast, secure ones. So the port of Carthage, just to give you an idea, the port of Carthage is estimated to have housed 200 ships. They not only dealt in purple dye, but they manufactured wool and linen End products. So they not only the, the dye, but also the, the end products. The Phoenicians were the first craftsmen to make and supply clear glass made from regional sand and high purity. In other words, the Phoenicians were not simply purveyors of raw materials. They developed the capacity to bring finished woods into the marketplace, covering the commodity and the retail market. So they cover both markets. And that's interesting because they will discover something. You know, like, for instance, the uh, the clear glass, the Sea of Spain, and then all of a sudden, they will say, well, how can we sell this? What can we do with this? And they, they come up with the clear glass manufacturing. That gives you an idea that they use technology with business. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing to think. In fact, I just want to recap um, what you said there. Apart from the well-known innovations like shipbuilding, navigation, exploration, and of course the very valuable purple dye that they pioneered, Phoenicians invented the phonetic alphabet, which is huge because up until that point, the next best thing was hieroglyphs. And we still use that same alphabet today, basically. And aside from all that, you said they invented glass. And of course, they were also great builders and engineers too. Um, What's more impressive than building Solomon's temple? And you mentioned the Punic port in Carthage. Uh, And I visited the site of that port. And from what you can see today, uh, it was clearly a very impressive site, um, able to house many ships. But at at the site itself, there was a model uh, that recreated what the harbour would have looked like two, three thousand years ago. And they would have been able to completely lift the ships out of the water. Feats of engineering that are only, only just possible today. And what I saw in this model of the old port was that it looked more like a modern-day sports stadium than a than an old port. It was yes. Um, if you take, for instance, the vessel that you have uh, that you navigated from 
you know, from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Florida, you know, to America. If you take that, you have to multiply that probably by 50, right? The size of the, of the, uh, uh, around that, I don't know, to have 600 passengers, you know? I mean, you were 12 passengers, right? In, in that one. Yeah. So now, now imagine the ones that they have. They have 600 passengers. So if, if you think about that, then, then maybe this, uh, this, this, uh, way of thinking, uh, of some of school of thought that they have, you know, bigger and and more prepared chips to to handle these long trips. You know, definitely. So you've already given a good sense of this, but generally speaking, what were the Phoenicians like, and what kind of things were they trading? I, I know you've already mentioned a few. Yes, uh, well, the Phoenicians uh, they were like. Uh, if we go back to pro- to the prophet Isaiah, prophet Isaiah mentioned several times uh, the Phoenicians and Phoenicia. And he mentioned them as the best traders on the face of the earth. That's that's a, a pretty strong quote from a prophet. So to me, as I mentioned before, they, they, I can imagine, you know, they, obviously, like in all cultures, they are good, bad, and evil, right? But we're trying to picture the best, the best ones, right? The the, the model Phoenician, right? So um, they 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 were very coherent. You know, between what they say and what they did. In order to do that, they uh, the only way to maintain a long term relationship with people is to to be coherent. I'm gonna sell you something, and then you deliver, and then you do more than that. You 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 sober, over exceed the expectation. So I think they have this uh, very customer centric and 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 community centric type of thinking, so that they they build. Uh, a great network all over the Mediterranean. So I will imagine that people in on the ports, you know, before the Phoenicians came, when they were, uh, when they were, when they knew the people on the town, you know, that Phoenicians are coming. It's like, oh my God, let's go and see what they got, you know, because they always have these these noble things, and they were always creating. What kind of goods were they trading, right? I mean, you may, I didn't answer that. Well, some of some of them I already did, but. But in addition to what I, what you heard, it's also pine, cedar, oak, cypress, you know, blue and purple dye. We talk about that. Uh, sheep maintenance, security, silver, iron, tin, lead, you know, many things. Workhorses, war horses, mules, ivory, ebony, ebony you know, wheat, honey, oil, balm, wine, wool. And you can see a lot of things. Lambs, rams, goats. Spices, precious metals, precious stones, gold, among other things. Yeah, it's an incredible list. And I guess when we think about the great Mediterranean culture, the food, the wine, uh, the great products that they have, it was the Phoenicians who initially circulated these things. But you know what? I think that also thinking about it, not only goods, but also services. You know that if you look at uh, the research that we did, you can find that the Phoenicians also you know, the whole tripulation with the whole ship, you know, with the whole vessel, they will sublease it or lease it to, to a country, you know. If they needed some people to conduct this trip, you know, they they will also have the services like today project management do, you know, that they, they provide the, the people to to transport from A to B so they have the ship and the people to transport it, you know. So they also have the services as well as the products. So they were very advanced for the time. 
So I was I was struck reading your book just how much information about the Phoenicians we can find in the Bible. Although I guess it's unsurprising that whilst the you know given that while the Old Testament was was taking shape, it was the Phoenicians who were shaping much of the Mediterranean. But there is a lot of useful information we can find in the Old Testament about the Phoenicians and, and what they were like. Um, for example, in, in Isaiah, he describes the Phoenician city-state Tyre as the marketplace of nations. If we were in a Phoenician town now, what would you be able to see? What would what would it feel like? Okay, well, uh, I'll tell you first. You know, I, I, I analyze that that um, I will analyze that paragraph because we see mention of the people of the island in verse two. This is a reference to the fortress city of Tyre built upon a man-made island. And then verse 3 says that Tyre was indeed the marketplace of the nations. And then it goes on, and the verse 7 makes a quite profound statement that the Phoenicians have settled far off lands as the bestow of crowns in verse 8. Phoenicians trade supply kings and kingdoms, firmly establishing the powers that be. The Phoenicians were referred to be by Prophet Isaiah, as the best traders on the face of the earth. But uh, also the Prophet, you know, as you mentioned, pictures, you know, pictures uh, on this on this parallel, you know, he pictures a giant conglomerate, a business machine unmatched by any on earth, and describe the worldwide sorrow upon the breakup of this trading empire. And then it goes on, and uh, I would say uh, the way I will envision is like a great commercial empire to be in the center of the ancient globalization. And I I might want to add the first globalization, perhaps, but maybe it's the center of the first globalization ever, which is pretty powerful. Thank you for listening to part one of my conversation with Dr. Habib Shamoon Nicholas. So I hope we're all on the same page now about who the Phoenicians were and what they achieved. They invented glass, the phonetic alphabet, and they built Solomon's Temple. So don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Join me next week for part two, where Dr. Shamoon and I, we're going to talk about Phoenician business tactics and how you can become a better negotiator. Please do me a favor and give this podcast a great review and five stars wherever you listen to it and share it with your friends and family 